G'day Noobs Bureau listeners. We thought this week we'd give you a little bit of an idea of what's been happening in the world of Noob Spiro. Well, it turns out there's a few more people listening this week, so absolutely. I know, I can't believe it either. Crazy. We're we're absolutely stoked. The the dizzying heights of... uh, Podcast superstar. It's out of control. So now, thanks guys. We we cracked the 3,000 download mark. It seems like a lot of you guys are liking and sharing our stuff, so it's it's doing us favours. Also, we, we had Coxie from the ADF write a cracker review for us on iTunes. He says, literally a life lifesaver, five stars. He says, been an avid podcast listener for nearly a decade and this is my first review. This podcast is laid back, informative and absolutely essential for the new Spiro. Great list of domestic and international guests. The most dangerous time for a Spiro is in those first few months and it's good to know there is an easily accessible resource. Spit it out. <laughs> that I can point my mates to when they're starting out. Cheers, Shrek and Turbo. So thank you, Coxie. That's, that's Coxie pretty, ADF. Thanks, that's mate. That's excellent. fantastic. And well, who was the other one? This great couple dot, dot, dot of blokes. I, I appreciate that. Old, old days are dark. Good on you, buddy. Is it, no, it's Dazzadark. Dazzadark, yeah. So, So thanks, guys. And uh, we've also received quite a few private messages from other people supporting us on Facebook and emails and stuff. So thanks, guys. Thanks for letting us know we're doing a good job. Um, look, and if you do know somebody out there who you think would be a fantastic interview, has tons of knowledge or is just a great storyteller, just get on get on our Facebook and um, dob them in and we'll go about stalking them and we'll try to get them on the show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, just a couple of updates, guys. Look, we're going to unroll a new website theme in the next few weeks, so um, look out for that. And uh, we're going to try and continue releasing an episode every three weeks. It's a reasonable time frame for us, otherwise we, we get a bit snowed under. So, yeah, look forward to some great guests that are coming on the show soon, and, and this episode in particular with Doug, Doug Peterson. Woo! And Doug Peterson, our first doctor and dentist. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the new Spiro podcast, where we interview experts, authorities, and characters on all things spearfishing. Come and join us after the show at noobspiro.com, the online spearfishing community helping you to become a better Spiro. Here are your hosts for the show, Shrek and Turbo. G'day, Noob Spiro community. Today we have someone a little different. Doug Peterson is a dentist, author, family man and Spiro who spent lots of his time diving in and around Rhode Island. However, now he resides in the spearfishing paradise of New Jersey. Welcome to the <laughs> Noob Spiro podcast, Doug Peterson. I really like that introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> no uh, especially the uh, the paradise of New Jersey, right? We're going to learn a lot about that today, I think. Cool. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing about some of the <laughs> uh, the diving conditions you, you have over there. It sounds absolutely atrocious. But um, before, before we go there, could you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got started spearfishing? Sure. I, uh, like you said, I, I started spearfishing in Rhode Island, which, uh, is a kind of a really nice, uh, nice place because it's obviously an Island and it, uh, has a lot of access to water and very rocky structure and, uh, kind of a really nice area for, uh, habitat for fish to hang out and very close to the shore. So you don't have to travel too far, but, um, I got started into spearfishing, uh, probably over 10 years ago. Um, actually took a scuba certification course, which I would definitely highly recommend to anybody getting into, uh, into spearfishing. 
Are you guys uh, scuba certified also? Yeah, I sort of started similar to you, Doug. I um I got started scuba diving and then sort of uh, just I got more interested in free diving and um and 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 I got the chance to use a Hawaiian sling. So I think perhaps something similar to you. Yeah, you know, and I I took that course uh and and found some friends who were uh, teaching the course. One in particular, uh, one of the mentors that I have, his name was Mike, and he was one of the instructors. Um, yeah, I have to I have to say that after I took the uh, scuba certification course, I don't think I've I don't think I've put on a scuba tank since since I took that course because <laughs> yeah. he, he showed me he showed me spearfishing and introduced me to that world and it was just something that was uh, very attractive to me and a lot but a lot of the things that you learn in the scuba certification course like equalizing and you know the depths and you know, you know all the you know, different things just about going in the water in general and being comfortable in that environment and clearing your mask and you know, all the things that are critical to uh to, to learning from an instructor from a teacher yeah were, were very helpful in going into free diving also mm. so um <clears throat> when you when you actually gave up the tanks and you, and you got into spearfishing doug it wasn't like a paradise it uh you know, obviously you pick your days when you're able to go but the, so, the water was relatively relatively clear in the summer times when i used to go spear fishing um but visibility i would say probably maybe 20 feet but you know that doesn't sound like much but in the uh, on the east coast of the united states especially up in north northeast coast Visibility isn't the uh, isn't the best year round, so it's something that we really have to pick our days. I don't know if that's what you mean when you ask me what was what was the conditions like yeah, or yeah, absolutely the, the sea conditions and it's pretty pretty cold water up there. I'm guessing anywhere from zero to twenty degrees maybe Celsius. Right. Uh, Sorry, yeah, mate. Celsius. You guys work in Fahrenheit. <laughs> Give not... us your Fahrenheit figures if you like. Yeah, they're probably you know in the probably in in the sixties Fahrenheit. Um, that's probably average and in the summertime gets into the 70s uh, probably very low 70s but you know across the board you're wearing a five millimeter wetsuit yeah, and yeah. um and you're head to toe covered in uh in wetsuit material boots and gloves and hoods and everything so it's not really uh it's it's not really freeing so to speak you you really you know sometimes that's a confinement to to diving itself is just the comfort of your wetsuit okay so we talked a little bit about conditions. What what were some of the um, obstacles you had, I guess, starting out? You know, when I was first starting out, I and I took that scuba certification course. I had a I had a wetsuit that was like you know for scuba diving, really. You know, I wasn't it wasn't a free diving suit. So mm. um, that's that's one thing that I would say that initially I just I just could have whatever I could afford, I got. So there was something that. You know, you're asking me before how I got into this. My friend Mike, who was teaching me, he actually needed some dental work on his mouth, so <laughs> he, needed, he needed he needed all his wisdom teeth pulled out. So I said to him, "Look, I'll help you out, but I I need a, a wetsuit and fins and a snorkel and a spear gun." So he said, "No problem." <laughs> and so we we found a kind of a happy barter there. Oh, nice! And I actually helped him out with some of the uh, dental needs that he had, and he gave me all the startup equipment that I needed to jump in the water, which was uh, great for me. Cause it's, you know, you're talking probably about, uh, I don't know, maybe about six or $800 worth of uh, yeah. equipment yeah. that you need just to get started. And that's, it's another thing that's, uh, 
you know, something to consider when you're, when you're going scuba or, or free diving, spearfishing. See, it's a little bit of an investment to start. Doug, yeah. I, Doug I'm still just wearing a Speedo and a pole spear. So <laughs> I need about sort of $60 to get me started over here. <laughs> what kind of water temperatures do you guys have? Then? <laughs> oh, it's very warm. It's got to be warm for me, Doug. Yeah. Especially I, in my Speedo, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> I think we probably start, our water temperatures probably start mid-70s in Queensland like mid Queensland coast, Fahrenheit, and and it goes up from there. I think that's from my. We don't we don't really talk in Fahrenheit down here. We we talk in Celsius. So we kind of I'm 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 trying to translate here for Turbo Duck. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's it about twenty six degrees here. Yeah, in summer we, we we'll have anything from sort of yeah twenty four to twenty seven degrees where we are Celsius. Yeah. Celsius, and then but in winter it'll get down to. 17 to 20 around but normally i still around the 20 mark in winter that's really nice and it uh you know makes me makes me quite jealous just to hear you guys and see some of the pictures you guys have on your facebook page just to uh kind of see what what conditions you guys have because like you were saying the paradise of new jersey where i am now is uh it's just something that is a constant plague for me to just have the desire to go spearfishing as much as i want to do it but just being being handcuffed and not being able to do it is uh is Tough. so uh yeah it's not not easy I, and i and believe me i try to push the conditions as much as i can sometimes sometimes i go and plan to go and you know get all set up and i get get in the water and i just have to turn around and come right back just because it, i can't even see anything yeah so you're predominantly shore diving are you done uh, these days, in the past probably year or two, I've been diving right off, right off the beach in New Jersey. Yeah, which is uh, another another obstacle that's uh, pretty significant for me. And and what about the local blokes? Are they? Um, is there any sort of like offshore boat diving? Does the visibility sort of get better, or what, what are guys? Doing? Um, it doesn't really it doesn't really get much better. <laughs> I, I mean, I've gone on, <laughs> I've gone on a few trips that are just you know slightly offshore where there's some structure and some rock piles and some artificial reefs, but um, it really doesn't. But I have to say that occasionally in the summertime, we get a mix of some warm water that comes in and some clear water that stays around for a while. And, and when that happens, it's almost, it, it's, uh, it's really neat. It's like swimming in an aquarium out here, but uh, that, that happens very rarely. So I take advantage of it whenever it does. Okay. So, what are some of the common fish species you do encounter when you do get some good water off New Jersey? All right, so, you know, predominant, and this kind of is Rhode Island, from Rhode Island all the way down to New Jersey. Um, our, our biggest species to really hunt around here is a striped bass. Okay. Uh, and they get anywhere from, you know, a keeper-sized striped bass is, is probably close to 20 pounds. Okay. And I don't know how that translates to kilos, but... Uh, it's about 8 you know, kg, you, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, a really, really good size. Like my my best striped bass that I've shot is probably around 35 pounds. And you know, my goal is to get something in the 40 pound range this year. So you know, cool. and and they're running right now. This is this is the time of year right now in uh, you know late April, early May when the uh, big striped bass come in to do their initial spawning. So. Um, so are they, are they coming at, in from offshore waters, or is it something they move up and down the coast? The striped bass. They're, they're fish that they come up actually into freshwater. So they come up into like the rivers and the bay systems from the ocean and they do their spawn and they can live in brackish and fresh waters. And then they 
come back out through the estuaries into the ocean. And uh, that's kind of where I live. I live right in the right in the in-between area. I live right on a, a river that uh, that flood that flows into the ocean. Nice. So, yeah, they're they they really ha- inhabit all the waters around this area. And they're they're uh, you could you could catch them fly fishing in the in the really shallow water and you can catch good sized fish as they come up the rivers. And then you could go out into the deep ocean and, you know, jig and fish for them that way. So they're pretty versatile that way. Another fish that we, that we can uh, spear fish for food is, uh, is a fluke or a summer flounder. Okay. I don't yeah. know if you guys have those there. Yeah. We have um, something similar. We're aware of what a flounder is. Yep. Yep. And then there's a blackfish. It's called blackfish or tautog. It's also another name for it. Okay. Um, and it's very interesting when you talk to people in different parts of the world, the uh, different species of fish that are available in their particular area. Mm. Um, so I don't even, you know, I, before I went to Rhode Island, I wasn't really familiar too much at all with the blackfish, but it's a, it's a very common and very tasty fish in this area here. So you sort of um, listed a couple of species there. What would be your most sort of memorable fish that you speared, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, you know, I, I was mentioning the striped bass and some, a couple of the, the nice big ones that I've speared in, in the past. Uh, actually, got some decent ones in the 20-pound range in New Jersey, but, you know, the, the larger fish that I've shot were up in Rhode Island. So those are a couple of my memorable fish. And also, uh, I, I shot a really nice fluke, and a fluke that uh, – anything over eight pounds is pretty much a, a trophy size fluke and they're uh they're few and far between and i was diving one day and i i was underwater on the bottom and i just saw something that looked i mean these are bottom fish and they camouflage themselves pretty well so they're not just swimming freely uh i saw something that just looked like seaweed or a little garbage pile and i could just barely pick out that there was a head peeking out one side and a tail peeking out the other side and I just shot my spear right in the middle and I came up with uh, one of the biggest fluke that I've ever shot. So nice. that was pretty, pretty memorable there. In terms of eating quality, is that your, your premier eating fish? Yeah. Striped bass is a very, uh, very good eating fish. It's nice white flesh and similar to a, a, a snapper. Um, I'm sure you guys get similar type fish there. It's not too oily, so you can cook it a whole different variety of ways. It really lends itself well to, uh, you know, baking, broiling, frying, it's, it's, uh, pretty versatile as far as what you're able to do with cooking it. So it's a good fish. And I really like, you know, the, all three that I mentioned, the blackfish and the fluke are all very good, uh, eating fish, and that, but it's, that, uh, that's one of your like other, a, sorry, Doug, that's one of your other specialties, isn't it? Something that's close to my heart. That's eating and cooking. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, so, so you, you've done a fair bit of cooking with with different fish species i have you know I, I really get into that too and you know sometimes i like to take pictures of the of the food that i create from the catches that i make and uh yeah that's a that's a, another little hobby or passion of mine as well yeah and like I, I remember starting out there's nothing quite like eating what you catch and i think that's a big appeal of our sport and uh any sort of hunting sport it's, it's eating what you catch and uh Creating creating a meal for for your family based on what you've caught that day. Have, what sort of things did you start cooking when you started shooting fish? Yeah, it's interesting you you bring that subject up. It reminds me of the fact that uh, you know one of the things that that really got me into spearfishing in the first place was the fact that I'm I was predominantly a rod and reel fisherman, 
And when I lived in Rhode Island, I, I can remember going out time after time after time and not ever catching anything. I just, I just felt like I wasn't that good. I wasn't doing it right. Or, you know, I wasn't doing the right things, but I knew there were fish there because other people were coming up with fish and it wasn't now went into the water and saw the environment that the fish lived in. It made me a better fisherman too, because you could see the structures and you could see that, yeah, most of these fish are holding to the bottom or the, or the, or the, just the, you know, five feet from the bottom, that's where they're hanging. And I was probably fishing above all these fish all the years that, uh, that I was trying. And, oh, okay. you know, I don't, are you guys riding real fishermen at all? Oh, look, uh, I think everyone's had a go at it, Doug, but, um, no, I was, I was probably one of the Doug, worst line fishermen oh, ever. I hate it. I hate it. Oh, seriously, you go there, you're sitting on the bank, you spend all right, this money on fancy gear and, you get sunburnt and it's boring and uh, you're tying <laughs> knots for everybody. Nah, never again. <laughs> right. So, you know, I kind of had the same feel of it. I mean, I really loved it, but I just wasn't successful. Hmm. But I got a lot more successful rod and reel fishing just after being a spear fisherman for a few years because I could see where the fish were. You kind of get a feel for where they're hanging out and the structure and the just yeah. the environment in which they live. Oh, so it makes you- a big difference. You still take to the uh, rod and reel occasionally. I do, and and, and okay. that mainly because of uh, the visibility that's here and the conditions that I have. You know, I really don't have much of a choice most of the time. So yeah. um, when I can't when I can't jump in the water, I'm I'm fishing with my rod and reel. Cool. I won't hold that against you. So next part of the story, <laughs> Doug. We love to hear our guests' scariest sort of moments out spearfishing. What, what what was your scariest moment, and what did you take away from it? Yeah, I I was fish I was spearfishing with a uh, kind of a new friend that I that I met recently in not recently now, but when I was in Rhode Island, I was uh, was introduced to this fellow, and he was he was an excellent spear fisherman. He could go to depths that uh, I couldn't get to, and he could hold his breath a lot longer. And we went out on his boat, and it was it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough seas uh, when we were out there. Probably, uh, probably four foot seas, and I usually like to go when the conditions are just right for spearfishing, well, pretty flat. Huh? But mate, mate we were kind of, yeah, I, yeah. I don't really like to push the limits when it comes to rough, but uh, you know, this guy was a little bit more advanced, and I was just kind of following along. And you know, we went out there, we anchored up his boat in the ocean, and it was really kind of bobbing up and down pretty good. And and we got into the water, and you know, the currents were were flowing back and forth, and it was, wasn't feeling that comfortable. I was starting to actually get a little seasick. Um, mm-hmm. So I went to the, I dove to the bottom, maybe about 30 feet down. You know, I, I, I came back up with the intention of just getting back in the boat and hanging out. But as I was coming back up, I was kind of disoriented. I didn't know exactly where I, I was. Um, as, I, as I got to the surface, the boat was right above me, directly above my head. And I came up and the uh, yeah. the boat slammed right into my head, and if you can imagine how that must have been with it with it bobbing up and down, mm-hmm. I mean that was that was a moment where uh, I wasn't sure whether I was going to come out of it. So it was just a kind of a situation where the conditions kind of dictated the fact that I probably shouldn't have been out there to begin with. But this this incident, I mean, slammed me right in the head, and I just felt I felt like Ooh. I don't know, almost as if I was going to pass out and. I just knew at that moment that if I didn't, if I didn't, if I didn't stay conscious and go swim to the boat and get to where I needed to go, I wasn't going to be coming back from this. So it was uh, quite scary, and you know, left a pretty good mark for me just to remember that uh, knowing your 
knowing your sea conditions and where your comfort level is is very important, especially for someone new new getting into the sport. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great takeaway. Um, I think Barnacle Bob's here. Arrgh! It's time to open the Veterans Vault. So um, the Veterans Vault, where we like to ask our guests to take us uh, deep into an area of expertise or something they're passionate about and speak with our audience about. So today, Doug, we talked earlier, you wanted to talk about overcoming some of the common sort of noob Spiro issues that people encounter. And uh, so you mentioned relaxing your body and getting comfortable in the water and, and learning some conditions. So I guess I'll just ask you to tell us a bit, bit about that. Yeah, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about, uh, you know, the first wetsuit that I that I had and how it was kind of it was a tight suit. It was almost like a, a surfer's wetsuit. Um, I think it was made by a company named Henderson and it was a, you know, starting scuba diving wetsuit and it was kind of mm-hmm. tight and confining and you really when you when it was on, you really couldn't take a good uh, deep breath and feel comfortable. Yeah. And you know, after I after I moved away from that particular suit I went, I went and did a little research into the freediving community where they make, you know, such customized suits that are, that are very stretchy and almost like taking a t-shirt on and off. I mean, it sounds like you guys don't need much of a suit up where you are with the uh, water temperatures, but we need pretty thick suits here and, you know, to have something that's, that's breathable, you know, as far as stretching when you're just taking a nice deep breath and being able to relax in the water is is so important. If you can't do yoga on the rocks before you get in, it's just not worth buying, eh? <laughs> he, I didn't hear that. Uh, he's, he's saying, <laughs> like, if you can't do yoga in your suit, it's probably not well suited for, for, oh, for spearfishing. Yeah. So you do need that flexibility. Yeah, and that's something I only learned when I started taking some more uh, interest in free diving because yep. you could see the people that were in that in that community really uh, took it to heart the type of suit that they that they wore and same goes for spearfishing when you're taking a big breath and just trying to just trying to lay on the surface and relax your body and slow down your heart rate those are things that somebody new into the sport is just not gonna know until they you know develop that from experience when you're new into the sport you're very gung-ho about jumping in the water and I want to I want to go catch my first fish or shoot my first fish and you want to get to this fish as quickly as possible. And you have a kind of an excitement towards going, yeah. but from my experience and from, you know, what I was taught having slow, slower, your heart, slow your heart rate down and, and being as relaxed as possible. These are things that can really make your comfort level go up. And when you're very comfortable in the water, you're going to have a much longer breath hold. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're just bobbing up and down and try, you know, not not getting much of a breath, not getting much of a bottom time, mm. you're not going to reach the depths that some of the fish are that you really can uh, that can go after. Yeah, it's so tempting too when you start. You just you want to go down. You see something, you shoot straight back up. You, you cannot wait to get back down there again. So you right. shoot straight back down. And if you just spend that two minutes on the surface, your your bottom time goes through the roof. Like and, and you it makes it, it makes a huge difference. Mm. I, I did a bit of a freediving course on the weekend with a guy on the Gold Coast, a friend of mine, Eamon Abdin, and I was just doing the um, pool classes with him. And I've been spearfishing for a few years, but it, it, it caused a big reminder for me about relaxation and breathing. And he pulled me up about heaps of bad habits that I've got into over the years. So it was really good. And uh, and it just yeah reinforced some of that lessons to me because you can just get a bit excited. And um, hyperventilation is another big issue for 
for guys starting out because it is such an exciting sport. It is. You know, when you know that there's fish underneath you, when you're finally searching around and you find those fish and you know you can almost see them from the surface, you just want to go right back down, like you said. But uh, taking that taking that couple minutes extra time can make it make a big difference. Mm. I, I, I took a uh, free diving class last year just to try to extend my uh, my depths so that I could go. I, mean, I went beyond the depths that I thought I could ever go just taking the class. And I've been diving and spearfishing for almost 10 years and just taking a course with someone who is just that much more knowledgeable than me in free diving. It made me a better spearfisherman yeah, and well, safer. Is there any uh, particular school or club you want to plug at this stage that you sort of got a lot of value out of? Um. Let me see. I think I, I'm trying to remember the name of the. Uh, I can't the remember club. the name, Levi. He just did a couple of fillings for the guy, and then he went. Is that right, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't buy any of my equipment. I just look for people who need fillings and wisdom. <laughs> <people>. <laughs> yeah. Actually, in my area, there's a there's a there's a website called Free Dive N NYC, like New York City. Yep. And Free Dive it's a really great resource, um, you know, to get some high quality training from certified uh, free divers. And these people aren't necessarily spear fishermen, but they they uh, they run classes periodically for uh, just to teach you how to hold your breath longer and get deeper. And they take you to these uh, these man made quarries that are that are you know very controlled freshwater areas that are very deep. I mean, spots that are hundred feet deep down, wow. and uh, you know they just teach you some of the some of the skills you need to get to the depths that you've never thought you could get to. That'll be, that'll be, that sounds really good. Awesome, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right, Doug. Well, uh, something else you mentioned in your veterans vault was perhaps learning conditions, tide, wind, and current. And, uh, before the show, you, you mentioned a story about, um, your boat coming off anchor. Could you tell us a bit about, about that? Yeah. Just another, you know, experience that I had that, uh, it wasn't the most pleasant experience, and whenever new spear fishermen hear the stories of other people, I think that's a good learning experience right there. Uh, you know, I, I went; it was just two two of us, so I went with another friend of mine. And I always try to recommend if you're going on a boat to go with at least three people, so that you can have one guy in the boat and two guys in the water, and then just do some type of rotation. Yeah, that way you don't have to anchor up at all. I mean, I don't know. Are you guys boat uh, spear fishermen? Yeah. And you do, yeah. <clears throat> well, actually, Doug, um, Shrek knows a lot about boating. <laughs> oh, I mean, a lot. Go. He's never actually owned a boat, but the other day I was at his house <laughs> and I used his facilities. That's the best kind of friends to have, right? Shrek, the ones that own. You don't own the boat. So you use <laughs> other people. That's right. You're on to me, Doug. But, but every time we go out in the boat, Doug, he's got some little piece of wisdom about boating and i was thinking the guy's never actually owned a boat so the other day when i was at his house and i was using his toilet which i often do he was uh i had a look there and here's a here's a here's a how to go boating book published 1972 circa circa 1972 and it's well worn so i'd say all that sort of knowledge you can get out of that book. Do you want to give that book a plug? A dollar fifty, I got that for it. And look, it's not just power boats. It went right into sailboats and everything. And before and aft and port and starboard, I'm pretty good. <laughs> so, right. so if you've actually got any questions, Doug, he's a real expert. Uh, I do come across a bit like that sometimes, Doug. I'm, I, I will put my hand up there. But um, no, yeah, you're right. Running a boaty, um, we, we find is crucial over here. A lot of the time we're diving in current, so it's not an option to do otherwise. You can't actually even anchor up if you wanted to. And uh, and it's crucial to have 
to to learn your boating skills as well if you're going to be if you're going to go out because um you do need to have a turn and uh because if there's three guys on the boat two guys don't want don't want to be boaty all day everyone's got mm. to sort of share in that responsibility so yeah and i think that's a good rotation because you do you, you do get tired after a while of of bobbing up and down and diving and it's actually a good break to take mm. in the boat you'll you'll catch your breath and you just keep a watch out for the other two mm. guys but in this particular uh situation there were just two of us that went out and we anchored up our boat and we started diving along these uh cliffs and rock piles and it was a really good structure it looked like a great day and all of a sudden probably maybe 15 minutes into the dive i looked back to uh, i always try to when i when i am diving with an anchored boat i feel like i'm constantly looking at the boat just as a reference point just to mm. see how far i am away it kind of gives you an idea of which way the currents are going and that's one thing when you do anchor up as soon as the anchor catches your boat's going in the direction that the current's running too so mm. one thing that i always recommend to people is to when you start swim right into that current so that you don't uh, just get swept away by the current and then have to fight and and swim back to you, in the other direction but in this particular case, uh, it was pretty open water, and I looked up, and my boat was probably uh, 100 yards further than I had anchored it, and it just got me uh, a little bit worried. And as I'm watching more and more, the boat's just starting to go further and further away into this deep water channel, so I knew my anchor wasn't holding. And then I'm, then I'm faced with the fact that my boat's floating away probably faster than I can swim after it, and what do you, what do, you do then? Know, you're you're just uh it, it was a day ruiner let's put it that way just because i either your anchor doesn't hold or you're not paying close enough attention to what's going on because you want to jump in and get in the water yeah yep and how did you get that bite back well i had to uh i had to drop my weights which wow. you know obviously make you swim a little bit better so i dropped i actually tied it i use a float line with a uh, spear gun and weights so i tied everything together so that my uh, my float was actually holding holding onto my weight, so I could pull them back up. So I dropped everything and left it there, and I just started just started swimming. And, and there's just, no other. No... You just legged it for the boat, we call it over here. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I was with a friend of mine who was not a great friend. It was just kind of an acquaintance of mine, and he he didn't even really know what was going on because he was a little bit further away from me, and I had to take off for the boat before I could even tell him what I was doing, yeah. but. I just took off for it because I knew it was going to take me forever to get to it anyway. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was just a situation where when it's your boat, you're the one that cares the most about it. Oh, the yeah. other guy, he, he, he just spent his time during that time free diving and spearfishing. And I, I did all the legwork and went and got the boat. And eventually I did catch it, but uh, it wasn't a pleasant day. And, you know, you can think about how exhausted you might be after something like that, and then, mm. you know, then having to relax your body and everything else that we were talking about to try to spearfish, and it just ended the day right there before it even began. Yeah, I've had a similar experience too, and it's uh, it's not much fun. So now I always make sure Shrek's a boaty, and uh, <laughs> he, he, he's pretty much happy to go boaty as long as he, there's like three or four packets of Doritos that he can sort of <laughs> shovel into his face. That's and, corn chips, yeah. Doug. <laughs> He's, he's, he's a really good co-host. So, <laughs> hey, look, Doug, what's the funniest thing you've seen out of spearfishing? Obviously, me eating corn chips is it for, for Turbo, but um, what, what, what's, what's one of the funniest stories you have out spearfishing? Funniest? Um, I don't know. I, don't, I can't really recall anything uh, particularly that funny. 
um, it, it's always nice to share the time on the water with, with other friends that you're going out with. You guys uh, sound like you're a good pair that, that uh, jive together pretty well. And, <clears throat> you know, that's one thing that I have a hard time finding here in New Jersey is a good network of, of people to, mm. to kind of go out with and yeah, getting, yeah. getting group. So, you know, the buddy system is critical when you're out there free diving mm. or spearfishing or doing anything that's potentially dangerous like this. And you know, having a good network of friends that are kind of on the same skill level as you are is important. That's yeah. a great, um, that's a great point, Doug. You didn't have a funny story, but you had a great point there. And, uh, and I, I, I place a high premium on, on, on my diving friends and, uh, Thanks, cause, buddy. cause you, you can go out <laughs> and you don't have to shoot any fish. You just have a laugh with your mates and you relax when you're with the right people. And you're in the right, you're, right. you're on the right mindset. It's not a competition, and because uh, at the end of the day, um, it's it's just spear fishing. Well, I got to say, Doug, it sounds like the conditions you're in over there, they don't sound like they're that fun. Like, I mean, it, it's dirty, it's cold, it's rough. I, I guess a lot of that's keeping a lot of um, people out out of the water. You know? It, yeah, but you see more and more people getting into it. It's really so. It surprises me sometimes when I go out and I see some of the people that um, that are you know, jumping in the water and coming from pretty far away to do it too. I mean, I live, I live five minutes from where I can jump in the water and go off the beach and go spearfishing. And if my day's blown out because of visibility, if I jump in the water and I can't even see my hand sometimes in front of my face, wow. then I can pack it in and I'll be home in five minutes. But, uh, I see some people that drive 45 minutes, sometimes an hour to get to the ocean and they're faced with the same conditions I am. So that's crazy. Uh, little by little, there are more and more people that are really getting into it. And I always tell people, you know, if you can, if you can dive in New Jersey, then you can pretty much dive anywhere. So if you get used to the, if you get used to the, uh, you know, the currents and the visibility and the situation here, when you do go away to a different place, you, uh, you really number one appreciate where you're going, but you have some skills that uh, maybe some other people don't have. And when mm. and, and when you do go away and you sort of hit that clean water in those tropics, do you find that your your depth and bottom time and the way you dive just improves out of sight? Yeah, it does. It when just when you can see the bottom. I mean, when you can, when I can see the bottom, and even if it's uh, 40, 50 feet down, I don't know what depth you got. What depth are you guys used to going? What's oh, your mate, you know, it's, it's oh, out of control these days. So, some wow. days when we. <laughs> We haven't been out for a while, to be honest, Doug. I'll, next time I go out, I'll be diving. I'll be struggling in 40, 50 feet probably, which is... Um, but sometimes we get, when we are out in the water all the time and, and we're getting more experience, we do we do push some depth sometimes. Not not like every, like some of the other guys around, but we'll what be out 80 feet. Fairly average. 80 feet sometimes. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so... And, and occasionally we can go a bit deeper, but... Um, it depends on fitness, time of the year, com being comfortable and all the rest of it. We don't like to get into egotism with, with depths because sometimes we, we're good and, and other times we're not. And, uh, yeah, and a lot of times you don't, you don't need it sometimes. Sometimes you just need to go where the fish are. You know, you were asking about a funny story earlier and you know, we were talking about visibility. Something, I don't know if it's funny, more, more scary than funny, but <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was diving at night in Rhode Island one time. We, we did some uh, lobster diving. And we uh, we would dive down with a with an underwater flashlight and go searching for lobsters at nighttime, which is what do you call them lobsters there or bugs? What do you Cray call them? Crayfish lobsters? and bugs. Yeah, we have bugs crayfish. and crayfish. Right. Yeah. right. So we were doing that, and uh, you know, I it was one of those days that it we didn't have much visibility at all, even with the light. And I went to a spot where I dove down maybe about 25 feet, and I couldn't see the bottom until I was probably like maybe a 
a foot from the bottom you couldn't even see it yeah i know that I, so, I know that sort of story. I'm, I'm going down expecting to see the bottom and all of a sudden i i go down into an area and it, it the visibly opens up about a foot or two feet from the bottom and it's loaded with these spider crabs, oh, yeah. which I don't know. Do you know what spider crabs are? No. no. Uh, they're they're like uh, they're similar to like a what a king crab looks like, but on a smaller scale. But they're really ugly looking, and they're just really long, uh, dark brown legs. Yeah. And they're they're not very they're not dangerous at all. They're not gonna harm you, but just when you don't expect it, and you you drop down, your head's like you know with two <laughs> inches away from about ten spider crabs. It's just very. Uh, startling experience let's put it that way like, it might, like, like turbo watching arachnophobia <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's very similar it's like all of a sudden you're afraid of spiders or crabs you know it's because you're right in their in their environment Mate, you, you say you're going out at night do you have sharks what's this what's the shark story there um you know i've never really been uh, affected by i i have never really seen too many sharks where i go my, my so motto I, is I, if you can't see them they're not there <laughs> yeah you kind of have to keep that motto in the back of your mind while you're spearfishing you know i I, you know everywhere you go there are potential shark issues and i mentioned a little bit of that in my in the book that i wrote for new spearfishermen because it's a little paranoia in the back of your mind that there might be something that's just following you there while you're sitting there relaxing on the surface Mm -hmm. you know you're you're right doug it's a big issue for people that don't know much about the sport that's the first thing you get asked when people find out you're a spearfisherman so um yeah, we'll talk about a bit about your book later on, but um, I think Pedro, what time is it, Pedro? See, it's time for Noob Spiro's Fast Five Facts. Ay, ay, ay. Fast Five Facts for Noob Doug is where we ask our guests to offer five bits of advice to our audience that they would have liked to have had starting out. Oh, that's a good, that's a good uh, subject to bring up. Uh, yeah, okay, starting out, what I would have, what I may have done differently, I mentioned a few things already. Um, Maybe maybe get the most comfortable wetsuit that you can get. Okay. Uh, learning how to uh, learning how to equalize, I think, is very important for someone that's starting out. And you know, to to do that, maybe taking some type of a class with an instructor. You know, okay. getting getting a mentor, getting someone who uh, who can show you the ropes and tell you what what you are supposed to be doing, rather than just jumping in and trying on your own. Even if you do read a book or an some some information periodical that uh, that explains it. There's nothing like the firsthand ex- experience of someone who is actually doing it. Three there, Doug. Okay. Couple more. I would say your the conditions that you decide to go may that may dictate uh, that may tell you how your experience level may be dictated by your the conditions that you may go. Uh, if you're someone new to starting out. You probably want to just go when the conditions are perfect, like flat, calm seas is best visibility you can you can find, and not really uh, not really pushing your not really pushing your boundaries there. So you want to try to start off when it's the easiest conditions to start off. Okay. Uh, let's see one more. Uh, well, nothing really comes to mind right now, but uh, just to expand on your point four, which is about conditional awareness and experience levels. How did how did you kind of learn about conditions? Is it something you write about in your book? Um, where where could new spear fishermen go to learn more about conditions in their area and things like that? I think every area that you go, 
the structures that are there, the environment where the fish are is going to be a little bit different too. So you just have to, it just comes from experience, I think, just by going and just trying new things and going to new areas, exploring a bit. I mean, I think all of us as spear fishermen have that uh, explorer within us. I mean, it's such a, it's such a different environment when you jump in the water and you start looking at the structures and the things that are under there. Sometimes I'm so surprised on what I see in the different depths that I go. So surprised at what you see under there that you just never knew was there in, in the first place. So you know, those are those are things that you can only gain from experience and by going over and over and over again. And as you do that more and more, when you get more comfortable in, in an environment, you you get to you know, explore it with more confidence too. You spend more time, you know, with your breath hold in a spot that you become familiar with. Cool. Okay, perfect. All right, just to read those back, Doug, that was, uh, yeah, really good. So we've got, uh, for your conditions up there in the cold water, you're saying get a comfortable wetsuit, number one. Number two, equalize, and if you need to, go and do a course so that you can learn how to dive properly. Number three, get a mentor, get some books, study, read, read, read. Number four, dive to the conditions and, and make sure you dive um, to your conditions as well. Number five, explore new ground and, and try new things, experiment with it. Thank cool. you. That's a pretty good summary. That's some, those are some good tips. I think anybody that's starting off that's new can really benefit from uh, from doing that. And yeah, anybody that is starting off new is, is going to want to learn and explore and, and find all these things out on their own, but it uh, helps to have that mentor. Cool, thanks, Doug. Next section, crucial kit for noobs. So what piece of equipment is essential? And we don't mind if you mention a few brands here. Um, what what you recommend, particularly for your area, if you like, Doug? Well, I, I have found this uh, dive watch that I have been using for many years. It's, uh, it's called the uh, Sun 2 d3 and i'm sure they have a d4 or d5 or whatever do you guys have the uh brand suntu down there yeah Sunto we call it Sunto here but it's not but anyway yeah yeah no i've heard good things about those watches yeah so i i find that that very helpful in the beginning when i first started out it was kind of a a luxury it was something that i couldn't really afford because uh it was in the range of maybe 300 dollars at the time and I just kind of bypassed it because I couldn't afford it. But when I eventually did, I found that I couldn't even go without it anymore because this was something that was giving me, giving me the information that I needed to really uh, help my spearfishing along. It gave me the depths, the depth that I was diving. It showed me right on the screen how, how long my bottom time was. I mean, I didn't have to touch any buttons when it went into free dive mode. It just uh, you know, automatically happened and, when I come up to the surface, it it starts a countdown or starts a timer to tell you how much your surface interval is, and it that, that's another valuable thing just to have because if you're just guessing, if you're just guessing that you're at the surface for two minutes but you're not really there, when you're excited and you want to go right back down, you're very uh, you know anticipate you're anticipating going down a lot sooner than that two minutes or three minutes that you want to be waiting at the surface, and just having the watch there gives you the peace of mind that you're on the right time no that's 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 a good bit of kit um doug it's something we probably want to invest in as a crew for levi because quite often he comes back to the boat with these bold claims and uh you know really he's sitting in mid-water and you know and he's saying there's nothing here but he he can't even get near the bottom we're only in 30 feet so look 
you know, but you have these dive buddies. <sighs> At least they provide good jokes. So <laughs> it's true. Seriously, <laughs> Doug, I'm true. hitting depths that you couldn't even dream of. It's incredible on a, just a day-to-day basis. It's amazing. Anyway, so uh, uh, you know, without without a dive computer or a dive watch, you don't know the depths. You could be going down 50 feet, and you could think you're going down 80 feet. You know, you just don't know until you're actually, you know, measuring I'm, it with the watch. So I'm pretty. That helps in, too. I'm pretty, I'm pretty in tune level. with my body, though, um, Doug. So yeah. I'll probably end pulling 80 feet. You're probably right. Yeah, he's pulling 80 feet in the bathtub, I think, Doug. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Get that, hey, get that swimming pool. It's tough to find an 80-foot swimming pool to do that type of practice in, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, just to talk a bit about your book, Doug. So where, where did you write that? How did you kind of research the book you've written on how to get started spearfishing? And uh, how long did you spend writing it? What can people expect when they open up your book? Well, this is something that I probably started uh, many years ago and then kind of put it down and then picked it back up again. But um, when I when I uh, was being taught how to spearfish by this guy I mentioned before, his name was Mike. He he taught me the things that, that I know. And then we kind of uh, parted ways and I started gathering some friends just a network of, of buddies to go spearfishing with but these were guys that that hadn't uh, taken the scuba certification course so I was just kind of imparting all of the wisdom and knowledge that I have been accumulating for the sport to, to my friends and I found that over and over again I was teaching people from the very beginning how to equalize how to get down what what equipment to buy every you know all the stuff that we're talking about all the you know, startup equipment you know where, where do you buy this and and that and uh, what are the essentials that you need to get started uh, I felt like I was doing that over and over and over again whenever I had somebody new coming along with me or showing them for the first time and you know someone just mentioned man you should write a book about this and this was just something that you know I, I realized was was a, a good resource yeah good resource for, for new people getting into it because it's a sport that it's not widely known and there's always new people getting into it. And, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't really write the book to, to, uh, to make a lot of money or to sell, you know, many, many copies of it. I just wrote it to get the information that I had in me out into the public about spearfishing in the environment that I'm in and some of the fish species that you can catch where I am. So that's kind of all included in that book as well. But it just, uh, something that I again had started many years ago and I just gradually picked it up and wrote a few more parts to it and until it was done just a, about a year and a half ago I finished it and published it on Amazon cool. and you know it, it's actually selling pretty well for me too I mean it's, a, it's it surprised me how how popular it was when it when it uh, started to uh, you know, be a worldwide presence on Amazon. That's probably how you guys had had seen it all the way in Australia, right? Yeah. So, well, I am a bit of an Amazon. I, I'm a bit of a reader, um, Doug. So I did come across your book when I had a look at some some spearfishing books that were out there. And um, so I guess what my next question would be: Who is the book perfect for? Is it is it fairly geographically bound? Is it is it is it suitable for you know an, a North American audience? Uh, is it is it suitable for someone who's brand new to the sport? Who would you say yeah, I the think, book's for? I think that would be who it's for. Someone who's brand new to the sport it is called uh, spearfishing and how to get started. So, you know, it, it covers a lot of those basics. The, the only reference that I really have for my uh, spearfishing skills is the northeast coast of the United States here. So, 
I don't really have a lot of experience in open blue water hunting or other areas like where you guys are in clear water down in the tropics, things like that. I don't have personal experience with that, but I just know from where I am, it, it describes some of the, the skill sets that we had been talking about, about relaxing and being patient and getting good breaths and safety issues, um, yeah, really cool. stressed a lot of safety issues there that uh, a lot of people new to new to spearfishing don't realize some of the you know really potential harmful things that could happen underwater when you're again gung-ho and wanting to get in and get wet you really don't take into consideration the potential dangers that are there and i'm not talking about sharks i'm talking about um you know the potential for blackouts or the potential for any any and all problems that are there if you don't go with a buddy or someone that's there to watch your back okay cool so where can people find that book doug well, it sells on Amazon, so there's a hard copy version, um, and then there's a there's a Kindle electronic ebook version too. So not okay. too expensive, but if uh, if you're out there and you're new to the sport and you want to just kind of get in, see, it's got a few stories and anecdotes of uh, some of the experiences I've had spear fishing. Talks about all the different type of fish that you can get off of the New Jersey coast, and uh, you know it's not that not that many, but there's enough that uh, that are there for the person that's in my area to explore okay cool so they know where to get your book um you've also got a facebook page what's your facebook page called we'll i mean we'll link these things up in the show notes but where can people search on facebook um i think it's probably just listed on facebook under spearfishing how to get started it's it's uh okay. just a facebook page on that just that's just a reference to the book and i don't have like i said before i don't have pictures in my book but i put the pictures on the facebook page when i uh when i gather them cool no worries, and people can ask you questions on there. Yeah, you can post anything you need on there. Yep. Awesome. Excellent. All right, Doug. Well, um, thanks so much for for coming on the Noob Spiro podcast and uh, and having a chat with us. Um, we've learned a, a lot about your sort of your diving conditions up there in the uh, the northeast corner. And just yeah, I don't paint. I don't paint a very good picture, do I? I, I don't. It's not like someone's going to jump in the. Uh, Jump on vacation and come to the come to New Jersey for spearfishing, right? Well, I'm not going to jump on a plane just yet. <laughs> but I've only got a three mil wetsuit, so you know. But um, just before we go, mate, I've, do, I've got one more question: Is flossing more important than brushing? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, they're equal, equally important. Equally yeah. important. Thank you. I'm going to take that back to my dentist and tell her she's wrong. Thanks for talking to us, Doug. That's, it's been fantastic. Man, thank, yeah, thanks. you're very welcome. Thanks for making time for us, Doug. I know it's early in the morning over there, so we really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking to our audience. No problem. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate your time, too. And uh, I hope you uh, – is it a season right now where you guys can get in the water? Is it year-round that you can spearfish up by you? It's year-round, buddy. Yeah, we're sport. Well, it is year-round. Um, but- yeah, maybe. Maybe that's a trip that I have to put on my list then. I got to come visit you guys. There's always a room here for you, Doug. And a couple of fillings, mate. We'll sort you right out. <laughs> I'll bring my pliers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening today, Noob Spiro. If you'd like to find out any more information from today's guest, then head over to noobspiro.com. We really appreciate you guys as listeners. Without you, we couldn't do the show. So if you want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes or head on over to noobspiro.com and uh, sign up for our newsletter. We won't send you crap. So that's all from us. A big hooroo. We hope to see you soon. Shrek over and out. Shrek over and out.